If you have a Bible, you've got it on your phone, Ephesians 6. If you don't have a Bible or a phone, there's a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. If you don't know where Ephesians is, there's a table of contents at the front of it. You can flip there, and then you can find your way to Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, let me read it, and then I'll kind of reframe this for those of us who haven't been here the last couple of weeks, and we'll walk through. Paul writes, and he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Four short short verses can radically transform your home life. That's a good promise, right? Four short verses can radically transform your home life. Now, if, if you look at this and take this as just a cure-all for behavioral problems in your children, children, if you take this and, and apply this as a cure-all for behavioral problems in your parents, you're going to be woefully disappointed. Recognize that what the gospel is calling us to is contingent upon our right understanding and application of what came in 518 and 521. Look back. We can't miss this. Absolutely can't miss this. 518, the second half of the verse says, be filled with the Spirit. This is the command that is is really uh, met out. Be filled with the Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God to come into your life and to have complete and utter control over each and everything you do. And he comes into 521 and he says, when you are filled with the Spirit, it will look like this. The last thing he says it will look like, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. Last thing it looks like is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes through and he applies this idea of submitting to one another from wives to husbands, husbands to wives, and now he comes to children. And so in the discussion of wives to husbands, the overarching idea, the main thing carried through that is the idea of submission. When he moves into the section on husbands to wives, And he says, this is how you work out what it means to submit to one another in the Lord. The main overarching idea is that of love. And now he transitions in 6, 1 through 4. And he'll do the same thing in 6, 5 through 9. And the overarching idea is obedience. Obedience. You've got to understand that. If you're trying to make your kids obey and the Holy Spirit's not working in their life, they can be obedient, but they will not be saved. Being obedient and being saved are two radically different things. Do we understand that? We're not looking to have kids who just obey. We want to raise our children in such a way that they come to know the Lord. And the Holy Spirit's movement in their life will drive them to want to honor their mother and their father. This does not mean that they will be perfect. Neither were you as a child. Some of you are very glad that your parents have forgotten how disobedient or never knew the degree to which you were disobedient. Stealthy, just a liar and a cheat, right? You were regenerate, but nobody would know it by the way you acted. Look what he says. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. He's giving this, 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 this statement that is so much more than just coming in, and if I were to go to Carol B., and and I would say, Carol, I need you to go and to do this, and she jumps up, and she goes, and she does it. That would be what? That would be following through on what I said. Now, this demonstrates one-time obedience. If I go to her again and say, Carol, I need you to do this, and she doesn't do it, what does that demonstrate? Disobedience. The obedience Paul is talking about here is this continual obedience that is a mark 
of the child's life. Over and over again, the child finds themselves being obedient. Well, the first thing we recognize when we come into this, come into this is this militates against it. It pushes back against the idea of parenting as friend. Parenting is friend. I've got friends that this is their overriding principle of parenthood is, I just want my kids to to be my friend. I just want us to go to the movie. And and friends of mine that are women say, I just want us to do our nails together. Some friends of mine that are guys say, I want us to do our nails together. And I say, whoa! Like, I just want us to be friends. I want us to be dudes. I want us to be buddies. I want us to go do things together. Hey, we look at this, and, and, and this doesn't really argue for parenting from the paradigm of friendship, does it? Like, if I'm friends with somebody, and I go to them, and I'm giving instruction to them in their life, and I'm saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, what's the response going to be from them? They're going to push back. They're going to push back, and their response is going to be, who put you in authority over me? Parenting as friend puts you as peers. Parenting from this friend perspective places you as peers. You cannot force your peers to do anything. You cannot force your peers to do anything. You might be able to use peer pressure, but you can't force them to do anything. Parenting as friendship is wrong. Like some of you are devastated. I can't wait to read your letters this week. But parenting from the idea of friendship is just wrong. It's wrong-headed. And I would submit to you that it's antithetical to what Paul writes here. Look what he says. Children obey, not your buddy, not your peer, but your Parents, parents, quit trying to be your child's friend. you got to stop. Your kids go out, they make horrible mistakes, and, and, and as a friend, you go to them and you say, it'll be okay. As a parent, you go to them and you say, these are the consequences for your actions. Recognize that my love for you does not hinge on your obedience. As parents, we need to make sure that our children recognize that. That, that we're not so mercurial, that we're not so back and forth, we, we don't evidence this, this type of hot and cold, that when our children obey, when they're doing well, they do all the things that make us look good in public settings and don't pester us too much at home, that we extend more love to them. And then all of a sudden, when they're hard to handle and difficult, and we just can't stand to be around them, they make decisions that cause embarrassment to us, they make decisions which irritate us, we withhold our love to them. And this is a completely wrong way to parent. We need to make sure our kids understand, they recognize that our love for them is not contingent upon their obedience to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not unloving to discipline your child, and we're going to see that. It says, children, obey your parents. Now, something else that comes into this, and Paul does this in, in Romans 1.30 and in 2 Timothy 3.2, and you can go look at that. He ties the obedience of children to their parents with the very fabric of our society. In fact, looking at things that would tear down a society, Paul throws in the idea of children which are obedient to their parents. The idea of raising your children in such a way that they obey you is making them, uh, is preparing them for the discipline of the Lord, but it's also helping them to be obedient in society. You have to work on the obedience of your children. Parents recognize that you are being obedient to God in bringing discipline into the life of your children. Just as children are called to obey parents, so parents are called to obey the Lord and to extend discipline 
to them. And what we see here in verse 6 is that children obey you as their ultimate form of obedience is to the Lord. Children obey your parents as to the Lord. And so when children disobey you, you need to call them back into submission. You need to call them back into obedience, but recognize they're not just disobeying you. They, too, are disobeying the Lord. And your response to them will either glorify God or teach them how to get out of further punishment. Look what he goes on to say. It's effectively, as Paul says, that children need to obey the Lord. And then he has this amazing statement. He says, for this is right. Other of your translations might say righteous. It is a good thing for your children to obey. It's a great thing for your children to obey. When Valerie and I were married and, and did not yet have children, we were experts in parenting. Just like most single people are experts at being married, we were awesome parents. Like three years before Bryce was born, we were, I mean, I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I was really good at it. He was born, and for the next two hours, I was an amazing parent. You know, it's one of these things where uh, all my life I'd only ever heard about the terrible twos, and Bryce is coming to the end of two, and he's doing so well. And we're like, we're amazing parents. And then some terrible, hideous person brought me into the inner circle, the, sanct the sacredhood, like the, the inner sacred place of parenthood. And they said, by the way, I don't know where this terrible twos thing come from. It is the terrible threes. I was crestfallen. I was dejected. I felt like I'd been lied to, and I told Bryce, no, 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 don't listen to them. It is the terrible twos. You survived it. Nobody is an expert at being a parent before they become one. But just as the last couple of weeks, we said we are professionally married people. We are called into this relationship in which, the, as Scripture purports, there is no right exit. When you are a parent, you're a professional parent, and it is on you to get good at being a professional parent be it going to conferences, being talking to parents who had disobedient children, uh, wild and rebellious children who turned back to the faith, or just parents who consistently endured the wrath of their children. And so you go to them and say, look, my son, my daughter, she is a rebel. How do I stand up underneath that? How do I endure? This is why we do church together. This is why we don't just stay at home with our little family. We want the wisdom and insight from multi-generational church. We want the wisdom and insight of the mom and dad who had children walk away, and then 30 years later they came back to the faith. Amen? We need that. Paul makes the comment, he says, this is righteous. This is, this is good. This is something they have to do. Children, the manner of their life needs to be such as they, they demonstrate obedience to their parents and ultimately to the Lord. Now, this isn't separated. It's not this idea of lip service, and he really gets into it more with the idea of bond service and masters next week. But look what he says in verse 2. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, and going into verse 3, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. But let's unpack the first deal. Recognize that your children's obedience to you is ultimately dependent upon the degree to which they honor you. The degree to which your children honor you as your mother and your father will demonstrate itself in their obedience to you. Well, let's, let's back off our younger children for a moment. And let's talk about something this passage also allows us to speak to, the idea that as grown people, some of us still have living parents. And so, and, and, and every much the reality, and, and so we recognize that there comes a point 
when the, when the husband and the wife come together or you begin to be completely self-sufficient, you're no longer dependent upon your parents for financial backing, you're no longer dependent upon them for your living situation or however it works out in your own individual relationship. At that point, you don't have to obey what they tell you to anymore. But the idea of honoring your parents is something that continues from the moment you begin to be their child. Now recognize he's talking about believing parents. This whole thing is set up under the, under the umbrella of believers in relationship together. But when we get to be older, our, relationship, our relationships with our parents change. I can remember one of the first times I just really disagreed with my parents. They said something, and it just like burned inside of me. I was like, this isn't right. I can't tell you you're wrong. But on the inside, I'm like, oh, they're so wrong. I get these five ways. I'm going to write them a letter. Like, these are the five ways you're wrong. Remember last week when you said this thing, you were wrong in five ways. And three sub points for each of the five ways. So really, 15 ways they were wrong. Really, it's 15. And so it, it, it gets difficult as we transition into different relationships with our parents. And then we watch our parents relate to their parents. And so transitional issues, like how do we help this, this paradigm to shift? How do we help our parents to graciously transition into this next phase of life? I, I met with a woman this week who is 93, and she would prefer to remain nameless. And, and I'll let her. And so, and so this week, I, I met with her, and she said, you know, at some point, the parent becomes the child. She talked about how her daughter comes in and cares for and, and sets her medicine up for and, and makes sure she's taking the right medicine on the right day and, and that she's eating well and that, that her fridge is stocked and that her bills are being paid and that she has everything that she needs or wants. And what a great way to honor our parents. The people that if it were not for them, we would have come out and just died because we would not have been nourished, we would not have been sustained, we would not have been instructed in what is right and what is wrong. Our parents, many of them, failed us, and some of us haven't let go of that. But whether they have succeeded for you or failed for you, you still need to honor them. You still need to honor them. Some of you, in honoring your lost parents, will so beautifully display the gospel that they might come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Some of you lovingly extending grace, mercy, and forgiveness to your lost parents who might have been physically or verbally abusive to you will win them to the gospel. Because it won't make any sense to their mind. So why would you be kind to me? I was such a jerk to you. Why would you be kind to me? I was so awful to you. Your response is, but God has been so gracious and kind to me and forgiving me. He has taken that which was dead and made it alive by the power of his spirit. Mom, you did fail. I forgive you. God has forgiven me. I want to care for you in as much as I am able. What a beautiful picture and display of the gospel. We need to honor our parents. Children, coming back to this idea of those of us who are dependent upon our parents for like a roof over your head for food. Like some of you say, I'm a really good scavenger, and so if they quit providing food, I could just scavenge. I could live on the land. Like you, would, you could do that for a little while, but at some point you're going to need money. Like it's, it's this thing that goes into banks, and we spend it, and it provides food and electricity and cable and, and Xbox and all this type of good stuff. Like money gets these things. I've, there's probably ways to get it without money, but let's just not go there. You need to honor your parents. We need to honor them with our attitudes. We need to honor them with the words that we use to them. This is a hard thing, right? 
I remember being a teenager and my, and my mom saying things to me and it's like all these like hormones and this, 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 this like muddy mix of puberty just came out with all kinds of ugliness and I was, thought I was smarter than she was and, and, and I, I absolutely wasn't. But I was stupid enough to think that I was. We need to honor our parents. We need to honor them, not just in lip service, but we need to honor them in heart-rent obedience to them. Do you see how that works? Your relationship to God, your relationship to God is worked out within the microcosm of family. Your family is the training ground for how you respond to God. If you do not respond well to your parents, neither will you respond well to God. Just as the parent's obligation is to prepare their children to receive the discipline of the Lord, children, your mom and dad, your believing parents, your response to them is preparing you to respond to the discipline of the Lord. So when you mess up, make stupid decisions, and they bring discipline into your life, this doesn't stop. This doesn't stop when you leave the home. You will continue to receive discipline. And you'll receive it from the hand of God. You'll receive it from your boss. You'll receive it from the government. You'll receive it from authority. You will not escape authority. The way that God has set our society up, the way that God has set up creation, authority structures always exist. They will. And we need to learn how to appropriately engage and follow in them. We need to honor our mothers and fathers. Now, he's got this curious statement. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise Flip over, to, uh, flip over to Exodus. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. The big numbers are chapters, the small numbers are verses. As you're looking at the page. Exodus 20 and verse 12. Moses writing, or rather Moses receiving from the mouth of God the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And then recording for us, wrote these words. He says, honor your father and your mother. This is Exodus twenty twelve. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land. And look, he, he has a, a phrase that's dropped off here from Paul. He says that your days may be long in the land that your Lord God is giving you. So Paul drops it off. Now, let me just go back and kind of recreate quickly this Old Testament setting that Moses is writing in that Paul is is borrowing from. The Israelites had been in captivity in Egypt. God calls Moses and his brother Aaron to come to lead them out. Does this sound familiar to anybody? So he calls them, he says, you're going to go and you're to lead these people out, and you're taking them on a trip to a destination. It's not just this kind of rambling trip. They are headed to a destination. This destination is the promised land. It's described as this land flowing with milk and honey, not literal actually flowing with honey but it's this rich land it has bountiful resources it is it is ripe for them to come in and to occupy so god is moving he is growing he is he is challenging this these people on this journey and this is one of the first opportunities where they're given decisive instruction and the fifth of these ten commandments is to honor your father and your mother and look what he ties it to he ties the honor of the child towards their father and their mother to the reception of the land. So in this Exodus context that set out, their receiving, being able to enter into the land, is very much tied to their response to their parents, which is ultimately 
a response to God. Now we know that when they got into the land, they sent spies into the land, the spies came back and said, you got to be kidding me. These guys are all like WWE wrestlers. They're huge. They will rip us in half. They will spit down our throats, and they will, they will just enjoy what they want to enjoy, and we will be run over. They trusted in the things they saw, not in their God, who coincidentally had brought them out of Egyptian occupation, had taken them across the wilderness, and had brought them up to the finish line. They did not cross the line because they chose to evaluate based on what they saw, not on what they knew to be true of God. And so for 40 years, that generation died off. That 40 years, that generation died off. They did not enter into the land. They did not receive the promise. That's the setting that he's talking about. Now, transitioning into the New Testament, Paul has this statement, and he says, look, you need to honor your mother and your father. You need to honor your mother and father. Verse 3, he said, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There is no land that the Christian will inherit. Some of you have come to faith recently, and you're like, there's land I get? Like, I'm looking for somewhere to live, so this sounds pretty good. No, there's no actual physical land that you're going to receive, so what's he talking about? And how does this all work out? We recognize that in honoring our parents, it is a response or this kind of the heart motivation for obeying our parents. Let's look at a couple of places in, in Proverbs. Proverbs is, is, a, is a great collection of statements on wisdom, statements on kind of how to live life. Flip over to Proverbs 1. parent's primary role is one of disciplining, instructing the child. And the child's role is to respond appropriately to that discipline, to honor their parents. Look at one of the first Proverbs written. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. Hear my son, hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. The author sets the parents up as giving instruction and wisdom, imparting it to the child. Now look at how they describe it. For they are a graceful garland to your head and pendants for your neck. The wisdom of parents is glorious ador- adornment for the children. The wisdom for parents, if followed by the children, all things being equal, prepares them for long life. This is what he's saying. Now look at, flip over a couple of pages to Proverbs 14, 16. This is the flip side. You honor your parents, it leads to obedience, and, and, and the seeming promise in here is that it will go well with you, that things will be better in your life. There seems to be blessing. There seems to be longevity described in terms of life. 14, 16. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil. Where does that wisdom come from? It comes from the parents. The parents get it from God. They're passing this on to their children. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil. But a fool is reckless and careless. The fool is one who takes the wisdom of the parent and just casts it away. Just cast it away and says, I don't want to hear that. I had some friends that uh, 
some of their extended family to have a, a, a rather interesting parenting technique. It's, it's parenting by consequence. And so they never want to be the ones to tell their, their kids, no, this is kind of a, a subset of, of parenting as friend. I don't know how you're friendly in this particular setting. And so it's, it's this idea of parenting from consequence. And so if their child is up here on the edge, and, and like many of you told me each week, could you just back up from the edge? Could you just back up from the edge? And so their kid is up here playing on the edge, and, and they're doing this now, and they're like, oh, man, they're going to fall. They're going to break an arm, and that cope is going to eat me alive. Would you just back up from the edge? The foolish child doesn't receive the wisdom from the parent. They don't honor the parent, and so they keep falling to the point where they fall. Parenting from consequence doesn't seek to stop it. Parenting from consequence sits in the pew, watches it happen, and hopes the child makes a better choice next time. We do not parent from consequence. This idea that the fool forsakes the wisdom, that the fool makes unwise choices, is because they're casting off the wisdom, the instruction that the parents have given. Look what he said. Effectively, inasmuch all things being equal, the child does not die from disease, they don't die from some accident. And recognizing that Paul wrote from a time and a culture where somewhere between 39 and 50% of children did not advance beyond age 10. So imagine your 10th birthday rolls around, you look at your peers and you say, well, half of you won't be here next year. So let's party it up now, like whatever a 10-year-old birthday looks like in the first century. And so we recognize that, that, that he's writing from that perspective, recognizing that half of the kids, 39 to 50%, won't advance beyond age 10, and writing to them and saying, all things being equal, you don't die from one of these things. You abide by the wisdom and instruction given to you from your parents, and things will go well for you in life. And to do anything other is to be the fool. To, live ca- to, to throw caution to the wind, to live recklessly, and to drink from the fountain of mistake. Look what he said, that it may go well with you in the land. What a beautiful promise that our children would buy in and understand the wisdom that their parents give them. But you know, some of the reasons that, that parents almost seemingly disqualify themselves from being able to speak into their children's lives is because they don't parent from consequence, but they parent from emotion. They parent from emotion, and and most prominently, the emotion displayed from these parents is one of aggravation, inconvenience, and anger. So if you have sensitive ears, I'm about to yell, okay? So this parent sees their child teetering on the edge, and they say, what are you doing? Step back from the edge! And they're angry! They're angry. It's like the kid can't do anything but receive the anger from from the parent. So every decision they make, the childish things they do, their parents respond in anger. And so they're a young child, and they wet the bed. They're a young child, and they, they take off the diaper, and the things they've done, oh my goodness, if you knew, you wouldn't come to my house anymore. So they, 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 they parent from anger. They parent from this place of just, like, it's my job to bring my will to bear on your life. And so many of us, that's the parenting we receive. And so we have this knee-jerk reaction, say, I don't want to be angry, I want to be a friend to my parent. That's not a good reason. That's not a good reason. Just because your mom and dad were too heavy-handed in bringing discipline into your life, it's not a good reason 
to withhold discipline in, in bringing it to bear in your child's lives. Some of us as grown people, like you think your children need to be spanked more, some of you need to be spanked. Your attitudes are terrible. The way you talk to your children is an insult to them as being co-image bearers of the king. Recognize this. Just as wives are image bearers of God, God created the men and women in his likeness. He created the male and female. He created them. So to children, they're not junior image bearers, okay? They are image bearers of God and as such need to be dealt with appropriately. We don't let our anger pour out on them as junior vessels in training ground so that we work off all the anger and strife we have at work, recognize we can't yell at our boss because we'll be fired so we come home, we yell at our wives, we yell at our children. Or conversely, you come home, you yell at your husband, you yell at your children. Some of you are more cautious than this. You wait for your spouse to leave and then you yell at your children and you threaten them within an inch of their lives not to tell their parents. Hey, if you're a child and that's you, I'm so sorry. You don't deserve that. Your mom and dad have anger issues. It's not on you to work that out. It's not your job to bring them into sanctification and the truth. If you'll come talk to me or one of the other leaders here, we would love to talk with your parents. Not in such a way as to make it more difficult for you, but to come alongside them and, and find some way of helping them to appropriately channel their frustration. You shouldn't be the one that has to receive that. No child should have to receive being the whipping boy or the bully pulpit of their parents. Anticipating that, Paul wrote, and where it had been mother and father earlier, here he just singles in fathers, but you can link in mothers because they parent from the same place as well. He says, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't needle at your kids. Don't exasperate them. Don't be so heavy-handed in your discipline that you're not training them to be wise, you're just training them to follow rules. And when you pull those rules back from them, they're going to run and do all kinds of terrible, awful things. Train your children to be wise. It says don't provoke them to anger. Don't hand down discipline to your children that you know they will not respond to appropriately. Don't be too harsh in the discipline that you bring to bear on your child because they can't stand up underneath it. Parents, you're training your children to respond to the discipline of the Lord. I had a friend of mine tell me that this summer. He said, his kids are in college now, and he said that each one of his children, when he sought to discipline them, he said at first when he started parenting, he sought to discipline them in a different way than he had received discipline from his father, because his father was such an angry man and a violent man. But then he's, he started hitting on this idea that in disciplining his children, he's preparing them to receive the discipline from the Lord, and that as such, he needs to model in as much as he is able what it looks like when God lovingly, carefully, graciously, compassionately extends discipline to them as an adult. Look what he says. Don't provoke your children to anger. Don't be a jerk. Don't be heavy-handed in bringing discipline to your child's life. But bring them up in two things. Bring them up, raise them up in two things. Discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Why you can't parent as friends. Friends don't get to discipline or instruct one another in this capacity. Interestingly, 
Look at the first thing he says. You need to bring them up in the discipline. Flip over to 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction. And this is the word that's rendered here as discipline. It's and for training in righteousness. Discipline is not just physical. Discipline isn't just spanking your children. It's not just telling your kids to go sit on the naughty spot. It's not just saying putting your nose in the corner. It's not just grounding them. It's not just making them eat things they don't enjoy. Discipline is rightly applying the word of your God to each situation your child finds themselves in. Discipline. We need to discipline our children. We have to know the word so we know how to apply the word to our children's lives. Now flip over to Hebrews. If you're in 2 Timothy, turn to the right a few pages. Hebrews 12. We pick up this same word in verse 5, 7, 8, and 11. Verses 5, 7, 8, and 11 of chapter 12. While you're turning there, I'm just going to start reading. Verse 5, he says, uh, Have you forgotten the exhortation that is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Don't be weary. Don't grow discouraged when God disciplines you. Why? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. We receive discipline from the hand of God the Father because he loves us. It's not because he's this, this punitive God who's got this rule book up there and he looks down and, and, and he sees Jake and Dee and David uh, disobeying rules. And he's like, demerit, demerit, demerit. Lightning bolt! Like, that's not how this works. It's not that he's checking through, uh, you know, you get five demerits and you get a lightning bolt. You get five demerits and you get a flat tire. You get six demerits and you can't make your mortgage payment. That's not how he works. He disciplines from his love. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom the father does not discipline. If you are left with that discipline in which we have all participated, look what he says there. Then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He's making the argument that if you're not receiving the discipline of the Lord, it's because he does not care for you. If you're not receiving the discipline of the Lord, it's because he does not care for you. He does not see you as a legitimate child. Verse 9, besides this, we've all have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them our earthly fathers are fallen they are going to make mistakes they are going to discipline us from a place of anger on occasion on occasion text tells us that as it seemed best to them but he disciplines us look at the comparison for our good that we may share his holiness discipline produces holiness Discipline drives out the sin and selfishness in our lives, and it is producing in us holiness by the work of the Holy Spirit. Look what he says, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather, uh, seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Parent, your responsibility, your obligation to your child is to bring discipline in their lives 
And the text tells us there in Hebrews that for the moment, it doesn't seem pleasant. Like I don't really remember any discipline that I received as a child that at the moment I thought, I love this, this is so good, bring it to me, Dad. Right? I can remember the most stunning form of discipline my dad ever brought. I was in junior high school, I'd done some things at school I knew better than to do. Ultimately that stemmed because I didn't see the connection between honoring my parents and my behavior. Like at 35 now I reflect and think that at 14 if I knew that my behavior was a reflection of my honor for them, maybe it would have changed my behavior. I didn't, didn't make that connection, at least I don't remember making it. So I did some things at school, I got suspended and it kicked off the track team. It was an embarrassment to my family and and all these other things. And I remember I got sent home early, which there was a really big deal because my mom had to drive like 45 minutes to come pick me up. And that's a pleasant ride home. So I'm sitting in my bedroom, like awaiting whatever discipline my father will bring to me. And I'm 14. I hadn't done anything that they knew about in a while that should deserve discipline. That was a caveat. And so he comes into my room and he sits on the opposite side of the room. So I'm right here. He sits on that, that bench over there. Doesn't talk just sits there the weight of the silence on my shoulders the weight of the silence on my soul like I want 10 lashes and to be done like I, I like I'm please spank me now spanking hadn't happened in a long time he sits there says I don't know how to respond to you I thought we'd raised you better I thought we provided for you better I thought you knew the Bible I thought you were a child of God I'm disappointed in you. Got up and walked out of my room. The most intense discipline I ever received from him. It wasn't because it's heavy handed. It's because he drew me back to God, my submission to him, and how I completely messed it up with my parents. Discipline for the moment does not seem pleasant. It's painful but it can work to produce holiness and righteousness in us. As parents, we need to raise our children up, receiving discipline from us as we see God bestowing it and praying that he would save them, praying that he would change their hearts and then moving, lastly, into what he says and training them up in the instruction of the Lord. This Deuteronomy 6 mentality this Deuteronomy 6 mentality where we are training them up, we're constantly putting before them. He says that you shall teach them, verse 7 of chapter 6, diligently to your children, and you shall talk with them as you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as signs on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We need to constantly keep the word of the Lord before our children showing them how we too find ourselves in submission to the Lord and when we fail. And as a parent, you will fail. And when you don't bring right discipline to your children, you go to them and you confess your sin to them as is appropriate for their age. And I would say to you, if you are older and your children are out of the house and you don't have a great relationship with your children because of mistakes you made when you were raising them in heavy-handed discipline because that's all you knew and it seemed best to you, go to your children. 
Go to your children and apologize. Go to your children and confess your sin. Go to your children and say, could we be restored? Would you forgive your father and I for the way that we discipline, for the way that we sinned against you? The way to have a happy home life. The way to have a righteous home life for us begins with being filled with the Spirit. Being truly remade in the image of God. Having our hearts changed. He's taken our dead hearts and made them beat for him. We are filled with the Spirit. And we are moving forward and mutually submitting one to another. As to the Lord. 521. If there's any hope for our families, it rests in that. Oh, that we would all be submitting ourselves to the Lord. Oh, that we would all be being filled with the Spirit. Confessing our sins boldly to one another when we sin against one another. Then we would see wives return to husbands, husbands return to wives, and children filled by the Spirit, children redeemed, look to their parents and honor them because of the bold, beautiful display of the gospel in their life, and they would find themselves in obedience to him. Would you join me in praying that for our families, for the families of our community?